Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So this week we're uh, revisiting an old friend, Chris Clearfield from Seattle, Washington, is with us. Now, Chris, you were on with us a while ago talking about um, uh, how accidents happen and uh, uh, meltdowns and other exciting things, and and you were looking at chaos and destruction. Uh, What have you been doing since then? Have you been uh, melting anything (laughs) else down? I've still still had my hand in a little chaos and destruction. you know, so Meltdown Meltdown is uh, the book that I co-wrote with Andras Tilchik, and and it's all about complexity and, and how complex systems fail and sort of more importantly, how we can build teams, organizations that are resilient to that failure. Um, and, you know, the book came out in 2018. I've been doing lots of different kinds of work with uh, organizations. And um, one of the things that I, um, well, organizations, what a stupid word that is to use there. I've been working a lot with leaders who are trying to kind of create transformational change in their organizations, which I know is something that, that you all think a lot about also. Um, and one of the things I realized is sort of, you know, the gap between what we wrote about as a set of practices in Meltdown that you can use to to build a team that's resilient and robust and really manages complexity well, and the kind of state of the art of the practice where where so many leaders and organizations are. And so, you know, really for the last year or so, I have been kind of really intentionally focusing on helping leaders, particularly left-brain leaders, guide their organizations through transformational change. And my observation is that this is kind of, um, this represents what I think of as sort of uh, an impossible problem, which, you know, sounds a little bit silly and, and a little bit cheeky, but I think it's a it's an interesting way of, of framing this kind of work. And um, yeah, I thought it'd be interesting to, to chat with you a little bit about it and and to kind of share, share you know, how my thinking has evolved and, and what I'm working on these days. Oh, that, that's fantastic. And the, the, the uh, trans, transforming organizations is one certainly that uh, it comes up a lot. And I think it's the kind of thing where someone reads a book like Meltdown and they have the idea of how they can have their organization more resilient. And then there's the work of getting from here to there. Yes. Is, is, is that the scenario that you're encountering when you're talking to these leaders? Yeah, well, that's exactly it. And and. You know, I mean, first of all, let me say you guys know that I'm just a huge fan of your work and um, uh, conversational transformations is such a good a good book and a good, very practical way to approach that. And I actually see that there's kind of, you know, there's the level of the conversation, there's the level of the team, and then there's the the kind of bigger level of the of the organization. And uh, I think these things kind of slot together in a really interesting and, and nice way. But, you know, I think... F- I, I, I'm going to say I feel like when we wrote Meltdown, we were we we rested comfortably in a little bit of of idealism and naivety, and 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 I think that's fine. But I think kind of translating what we did in the book to making it really effective for you know for for leaders in a typical modern organization, there was definitely a gap there, and and so it was very humbling to kind of go go from writing the book where we have these solutions that, you know, I mean, on the surface seem, they're not, they're not, um, they're not easy, but they're relatively simple. Like, you know, write down mistakes and and openly discuss them. Well, you know, for some organizations, like 
when you suggest that to when I suggest that to a leader, like I can see their head kind of explode, you know, like <laughs> openly discuss mistakes. Like that's just very far from from where they are. And 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 that's okay because where they are works for them on some deep level, right? I mean, you know, like I work with organizations that are that are big and successful, and so they have this whole activity system that supports where they are. But what I think is happening these days is that the complexity of the modern world means that that those activity systems are no longer as adaptive as they once were. And so for me, the work now and, and kind of, again, it's been pretty humbling is to say, okay, well, how can I help leaders build a bridge? How can I help leaders go from, from where they are right now you know, which is often a little bit siloed, a little bit kind of um, procedural, a little bit project plan driven to being a leader that leads an organization that's dynamic and cooperative and collaborative and creative. And and I think for me, that's one of the biggest challenges of leadership. And that's part of why I think about it as an impossible problem. But but I also have some more specific ways that I, I think about what kind of makes a problem impossible. I'm curious because as I was hearing you describe this, I was thinking, okay, look, this is troubleshooting agile. One of the things that we often talk about are the symptoms that people see. So, like, and I think maybe this is maybe a bridge or a lead in here to to impossible problems. What if I'm one of those leaders and I'm trying to and I want to make this transmission? What what would be a what would be a symptom I would see in my organization? What would I what would I be seeing or feeling or sensing that tells me that? Oh, actually, this <laughs> I'm facing an impossible problem, or I'm I'm having that sense. What what what's the kind of symptom that someone might have? Yeah, that's a great question, and and I think um, right. So I think about it in two ways, right? There's the criteria of what is an impossible problem, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But then there's the you know, if I can be a little bit woo woo, like then there's like what is the felt experience of a leader and 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 their team as they try to make this kind of transformation. And if if they are too reliant on kind of, I'll say old tools, like thinking in terms of, you know, they often don't put it this way, but I see it this way as, you know, a unilateral control model, um, kind of top-down leadership, sort of, you know, going out to people and telling them what, the, like imposing change on the organization. The things that, that leaders and their teams often feel is really frustrated and, you know, like isolated also, like it, it, you can see this dynamic emerge that's like, gosh, like we know that there is this new way to do things, but people aren't getting on board with it. And like, you know, they don't get it. They don't kind of, you know, they don't understand it. They're not willing to change. So you can kind of see like a leader who's frustrated, who is trying to move things forward, who who knows that they're going after something that's big and important, but sort of you know, eat, as they push on the organization, they get more and more resistance and the organization kind of pushes back. And so, so that to me is kind of one of the, like one of the symptoms it's, it's, it's frustrating. And it's like, you know, it can make people cynical too. Like good leaders, they want the actual result. They don't just want the, the kind of theater of the result. And so if they are trying their hardest and, and, getting frustrated and like sort of seeing the theater, but not seeing the result. Like that's often a place where I will connect with somebody. Well, wow. I really like that. I, um, I, what immediately came to mind is the people who want the real result and not just the checkbox. 
And I, right. I was think it made me think scroll of you some of our recent discussions <laughs> where we had uh, Vasco on and we were talking about the role of scrum masters and how so often is sort of the checkbox of you know, let's let's make sure we've got the right book and we've got the right framework and we hire a bunch of scrum masters. Well then then we can, you know, check the agile checkbox. Yep. And and in lots of cases that's successful. That that's the the model that works for the organization. The problem is it's not going to work in the future. It's not going to let the organization adapt, but it's pretty darn adaptive where the organization is right now. We need to be doing the latest things. We need to attract engineers and uh, product owners and um, salespeople and others who want to be with an agile organization. So look, we got our agile certificate and we, we have our agile um, hand stamps and, and we're agile. Okay. <laughs> life is good. End of story. So, so that sounds like a company that doesn't have an impossible problem. They have a possible problem. Their, their problem is look agile. The, the people who have the impossible <laughs> yeah. problem are the ones who, who want to, ha- um, who want to actually be agile. Yes. And, and I think, you know, I use this phrase a lot, supporting leaders, because I, I think that it's really important to acknowledge how hard this work is and how hard uh, undertaking any kind of transformation, an agile transformation included, it, it really requires a, a leader and a leadership team that is willing to kind of marinate in uncertainty. Because you know, in some sense, when we're talking about a transformation like this, if you knew how to behave under the transformed conditions, you would already be behaving that way, right? There's like, there's kind of, you know, given that you are where you are, you actually don't know how to do what you do. And and where you are, again, is very, very adaptive. So I think to your point, I get a lot of questions, especially early on in my work with leaders that are like, well, what have other organizations done to, you know, cross this bridge, to cross this threshold? And my response is often, well, I can tell you about that, but it's it's not going to be as useful as you want it to be because your organization is unique and the things that make the things that challenge your organization are different than what challenges another organization and your superpowers are different. And kind of ironically, the challenges and the superpowers are often the same thing. And so the work is really to like, is to kind of help leaders get comf- get more comfortable with the unknown. And, you know, I do that by, by kind of coaching them and providing interpersonal support, but also pro- by providing a, a real structure for how to think about what is, what is an impossible problem and how to have some structure to go about, I don't want to say solving it, but kind of taking the journey in a way that's, that's structured and parameterized to help you really get a result out at the end of the day that 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 works for you and and works specifically for your organization which is something that by the way like you and your team are an expert in you are an expert at how your organization works because you're part of it in a, in a way that's very different than me as an outsider coming in that uh what i heard in that approach is your idea is that uh it captured that, that that making this kind of transformation is not a cookbook. It's not, uh, um, you know, one size fits all. And so it's very different from that earlier sort of, you know, look agile checkbox, which you can apply universally. <laughs> it requires right. no no sensing of the conditions. And you're saying something quite quite different, which is actually what you do is going to, your path is going to be very different based on, you know, the specifics of your situation. And uh, and, and therefore that that's, that's your 
one of the things you're doing with people, it sounds like is helping them understand what's different about their environment. Is that right? And you're, you're kind of casting that, this idea, I love this this phrase of, of superpower. Can you say a bit more, what's an example of a superpower an organization might have and, and how could that also be the kind of the source of their problem? That sounds really interesting. Yeah, so I, I it's, a, it's a great question. And um, it's actually an idea really, I think interestingly, actually rooted in Buddhism, which is kind of an interesting thing to bring. Um, I, I first heard it framed in this way by this woman, Pema Chodron, who uh, wrote a book, has written a bunch of books, but wrote a book called, uh, I think it's called Things Fall Apart. Um, but it's, he, here's an example. I worked with a, a leadership, um, sort of senior leadership team at a big, big oil company last summer. And they were basically trying to change their approach to how they did maintenance. So this is like, like, you know, we're not in code space here. We're in like, like physical space, right? How they like take apart equipment and these big pieces of equipment, how they do turnarounds on their assets. And, you know, they have these, these huge assets around the world. And this team was basically charged with making this process. Um, they didn't really use this phrase, but really more agile, kind of better, faster, smarter, cheaper. Um, uh, and, as an organization, they tended to be very um, interested in controlling risk, um, pretty risk averse, pretty procedural. Uh, and so those are all really useful ways to be, right? I mean, you you run a, 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 a huge global oil company, like you want to be pretty sure that you know, you've got a set of procedures that describes what what you need to happen and that people are using it around the world and that they're dialed in and and all of this stuff, right? So in some ways you can see that as a superpower of the organization. Um, but what the team I was working with was was seeing and was finding was that indeed they have this superpower, but it prevents them from moving quickly. It prevents them from moving as fast as they want to. Um, and so a lot of our work was figuring out how to go, how to find partners in the organization that kind of were at a high enough level that they could make decisions about what to do, but on a low enough level that they were closest to the operations so that they could, for example, run experiments about how they can do these turnarounds in a different way. Um, you know, and and that's that's kind of I, I feel like in a nutshell, you can see that like what this organization was really, really good at what came really easy to them was building these kind of big elaborate procedures that were rolled out on a global scale. Um, and you can see how that's very, very useful. And you can see how if that's the only thing they can do, it's limiting. So that's kind of an, that's sort of the way I, I see that kind of every organization's behavior is in some sense adaptive for for where it is right now. And that's the part that's puzzling to me because we're 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 coming to sort of toward the end of of what we should be talking about in, in at least this episode. Maybe we'll have to go to multiple ones. But but uh, Chris, I'm I'm not quite hearing what they did to solve their impossible problem. Whether it's this one uh, with the equipment being taken apart and maintained and put back together, or in another case, what do you, I think I kind of understand what an impossible problem is and and why you might not want to face it if if you're a certain type of organization. But how do you solve it? Great. Well, let me let me say specifically what I think of as the kind of the three part test of if you have an impossible problem. Um, so as a leader, it's it's a problem where you you kind of have a vision for the end state or the direction you want to go, but you don't know the exact answer and you don't know exactly how you're going to get there. Um, you don't control the people that are involved. Uh, so you can't sort of 
you know, I guess that's that's just an easy way to say it. You don't control the people that are involved, and and you don't control the overall system, the kind of the organizational context, the organizational structure, the incentives, the regulatory structure, the kind of technology platform. So, so you might be able to influence some of these things, but but you certainly don't control them. And and I think those that's a sort of three part test. That's like, well, if all of these things are true, then you really you're really in a scenario where. And and by the way, I think all of these things are true in ninety nine percent of the kind of transformational changes that we're talking about. But you're you're in a scenario where the kind of old tools don't work anymore, and so you have to you have to push on. Like if you push on the system, it's going to push back. Um, if that makes sense. And so, so the the. the I, what I do is I take leaders through a process that um, it basically has four parts to it. Um, the first part is really being explicit about the network of people that need to be involved in getting to where you need to be. So thinking about who they are, thinking about what roles they have, and thinking about how how kind of connected they are with your core team, kind of who's trying to 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 invite this change in the organization, and seeing, you know, are there kind of ambassadors that you can recruit of that network to be a champion? Um, are there people that you know are going to be willing to collaborate with you on a solution um, or even on, on a more deep understanding of the problem? So one is just being explicit about that. Uh, the next step is to um, really think about where people are in, I use a model called the cycle of change, which this guy Rick Maurer came up with. And um, it's it's a really useful model. It's wrong, like all models, but it's it's also useful. And and the idea here is to um, just make sure you're bringing people along. So if you try to roll out, if you try to push out a solution onto people that don't even know that there's a problem, then you're going to get resistance. And that's kind of true at sort of every stage of the process. If you move too fast, which you often do as a leadership team because you've been thinking about this problem a lot. But you've got to bring people along. You've got to help them connect with the problem that they're facing before you start to get them to, to thinking about solutions, before you start to roll things out. So that's really all about engagement. Um, the third step is about skillfully working with resistance and, and realizing that resistance has different flavors. And I mean, particularly as engineers, particularly as kind of left brain technical leaders, we often want to meet resistance by showing people data and by showing them this is the way it should be. This is the ideal state. And, you know, that just doesn't work. That just generates more resistance. So I kind of help these teams, help teams that are undertaking change work more skillfully with resistance. Uh, and then the last thing is to think in terms of experiments instead of monolithic solutions. So, you know, the goal is not to come up with a policy and roll it out across the organization. It's to find pockets where you can not not just connect to to um as like a pilot but really saying we don't know how to admitting that we don't actually know how to do this we don't know how this is going to work in our organization but we have a place where we're going to try it and as we start to get momentum and it starts to get working then other people are going to start to get interested in what we're doing and then all of a sudden you've created fomo you've got people excited about it and you sort of rapidly can you know you can shift the adoption curve from this kind of like plotting climb to this this exponential adoption and and that's a really um that's a really cool aspect of this work 
That that sounds great. And I, I, that when you're describing that, I was thinking in my head about the Kinevin framework and kind of you're helping deal, people deal with the complexity. And Kinevin says you want to probe, sense, respond. And it sounds like you're kind of guiding them through that process of these experiment experiments to probe, find out what happens, and then alter their path. Um, so I, I can I can see where that'd be valuable um, for people who've who've heard this description. Uh, Chris would like to know more about your approach to solving impossible problems. You know, how, how can they learn more? Well, I'm glad you asked, Jeffrey. Um, so, you know, of course, if you're a leader in an enterprise and and this is something that uh, is interesting to you, um, you can send me an email, chris at chrisclearfield.com. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to, to, you know, schedule a call and, and figure out um, whether the approach that I'm taking is something that could be a fit for you and your your team, your organization. Um, but I'm also, for the first time ever, taking some of this work and offering it in a public way. So I usually do this with, with leadership teams within an enterprise. And, you know, like sometimes I can talk about that. Um, like I've done a bunch of work with Microsoft, helping them create a culture of innovation in their legal department, which is this really interesting kind of like socio-technical problem. Um, and I get to talk about that work publicly sometimes, but for the first time, I'm actually doing a public course where people can um, learn about this. And that course actually starts with a free webinar, which I guess we marketing people call a masterclass these days. So um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds great. A masterclass on impossible problems. That masterclass amazing. on impossible <laughs> problems. Yeah. So um, it's on July 7th at uh, 6 p.m. UK time, 1 p.m. Eastern time. And that's 10 a.m. Pacific time, which is where I am in Seattle. Um, and we're going to put a link in the show notes for you to go and read a little bit more about it. Register. It's free. Um, I'm going to be talking about um, how to solve impossible problems and kind of giving some practical tools and then also giving an overview of the course that I'm offering, which is going to start in mid-July and be this kind of mix of um, content and group work and one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching as well. So uh, I'm really excited about it. You know, for me, I, I, I talk a lot about um, helping leaders sit with the unknown and embrace the unknown. And, you know, I also kind of um, try to do that myself. This is the first time I, I'm, you know, you know, I've, I've taught this material a bunch in a lot of different contexts, but this is the first time I'm doing, um, a launch like this to a public community. So there's a lot of sitting with the unknown for me right now. And I am, uh, really excited about it. All right. And, uh, I'm excited too. Um, I, I've been enjoying your work, not just the book, but your uh, podcast, uh, and, um, and I'm looking forward to the webinar and very happy to, to share with people. Um, so, you know, thank you for so much today for coming in and telling us about your, uh, approach to, to impossible problems. Well, you're welcome. And I mean, you guys know how, how great I think your stuff is and, um, yeah, how much I like talking with you about it, how much I like, uh, cooking stuff up with you and, um, yeah, so stay tuned. So I think we'll, we'll, um, I hope to continue this conversation to to continue this this partnership. So I'm really excited. Fantastic. And we like having Chris on and we know that our listeners always respond really well. So do get in touch with Chris. All the information you'll need is in the uh, show notes. And of course, if you have questions and comments for us, you know where to find us. It's at conversationaltransformation.com, videos and email and Twitter and you name it. It's probably on there. So we'd love to hear from you there.
And uh, uh, we'll see you next Wednesday for something equally exciting and interesting as solving impossible problems. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thank you, Squall.